Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Global Football Show. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown, joined with my regular co-host, excellent Zach Lowy, on a Wednesday today. Uh, of course, uh, the one day and a game tomorrow, no World Cup game, so we're going to reflect on what we've seen so far, take a look ahead as well. Uh, first of all, Zach, how you doing, brother? Doing very well, Phil. I've uh, been very busy with the World Cup and mm-hmm. got a ton to discuss today. I see you've been quite busy, my friend. Uh, we will talk about Portugal, of course. Um, inevitably, we'll talk about our friend Cristiano Ronaldo uh, and um, what happened prior to that game. We'll talk about, of course, the upcoming quarterfinals, which are quite mouth-watering. And we'll talk about what happened to Germany, what happened to Spain and uh, we have lots of other things to talk about we will first of all talk about Portugal first brother Um, so let me ask you about this because I remember when we were talking at the start of the tournament and we were talking about how much of a distraction this whole Ronaldo circus would be and that is exactly what it's turning out to be I don't see coverage of Portugal without the context of Ronaldo I mean even yesterday they have a fantastic result, fantastic win. His replacement scores a hat-trick. And the entire coverage is parsed. How is Ronaldo reacting to this? And he's well aware that all the focus is on him. I can't imagine this is doing much for team morale. When you been you win 6-1 and the entire narrative after the game is, you know, what did Cristiano Ronaldo think? Yeah, listen, I mean, I think that from Portugal's perspective, I think that players are used to Cristiano being the center of attention. Uh, they're used to Ronaldo, in a way, being bigger than Portugal. Um, and I think that, yeah, João Mario said that in his press conference before uh, before the first game, right when uh, the Piers Morgan thing was, was being released. And so, you know, that's something that they've, they've become used to. You know, they've become used to uh, people cheering, not when Portugal scored, but when Cristiano is... Uh, is playing or when he's warming up in this case. But yeah, I'll be honest, it's a bit annoying as somebody who uh, who covers Portuguese football, who covers the Portugal national team, to see it. You know, I was watching the Fox broadcast today, yesterday, and uh, I mean, we saw, I think, for five minutes, literally the, the announcers were only talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. It's like, Portugal are up 6-1, you can talk about the player who scored a hat-trick. You can talk about, uh, you know, Joao Felix or Bruno Fernandes doing well. And you're sitting here talking about Ronaldo this, Ronaldo that. And it's like, do you people even do your job? Do no. you actually do homework? No. I mean, give me a fucking break. Uh, Fox's coverage of this event has been interesting, to say the least. I don't want to go too much on that. But it's it's it did seem like somebody who thinks, uh, who really, really only knows one player. And that is Ronaldo. So, yeah, it is a bit annoying. But I credit to these boys. You know, they're, I don't think they're letting them. I don't think they're they're necessarily uh, letting this affect them. So I, I think you have to give them credit uh, in the way they've handled this situation. And, yeah, we've seen uh, yesterday something that we've known for, for a while, that Portugal played better uh, without Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I think that that's... That, that, that part of it is the fact is he no longer has a place in the best team. Part of it is also they're playing as a team. They're not playing for Ronaldo. Uh, I don't discount that there is definitely some importance in, in several regards in that, you know, the, a lot of these players, they did grow up idolizing Ronaldo. They want to bring home 
a tournament uh, for him as well. But they also want to bring him for for themselves, for their family, mm-hmm. for their country. And yeah, I, I I think that it's it's an interesting time for Portugal. Uh, I think that for you know a decade or longer than that, you know, Cristiano was definitely used to uh, putting putting Portugal on his back and 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 carrying them. But right now, it's Portugal that's carrying Ronaldo. Uh, the fact is. Ronaldo should not be starting a single game for Portugal. Uh, he is not a better player than Gonzalo Ramos. He's not a better player than Otavio. He's not a better player than all these. And frankly, if you take out one of these players, you know, you watch the balance collapse immediately. Uh, so Cristiano, I mean, he had, it's not like he didn't have chances. He had plenty of chances. He started three games, uh, didn't really do anything apart from drawing a penalty and uh and scoring that against Ghana, but missed a lot of easy chances, uh, kind of threw a hissy fit when he came off against South Korea. So, look, I I do think that I I'm, I don't think that he was necessarily unhappy uh, when when Gonzalo scored. You know, I think I think that Cristiano wants Portugal to win. Uh, with that being said, I think that this has definitely been an ego check for him, for his sisters and family. You know, and uh, just coming to the realization that, yeah, the fact is the best teams in world football do not want Cristiano in their team. And Cristiano no longer has a place in Portugal's best 11. Um, that's just a fact. You know, <clears throat> I want to make a quick segue into what you, something you just talked about on this, which is the Fox coverage. It's been an absolute disgrace, in my opinion. First of all... Um, they talk to you like you've never watched a soccer game in your life. There is no place for journalism there. They they put out a tweet the other day asking soccer, US soccer fans, what player would they let their daughter date without recognising the sheer stupidity or something like that. Delete it. Um, Rob Stone, sitting next to Kelly Smith, trying to talk to her about an Oscar this year were of Boston, the revolution in Boston. And of course, her look of utter contempt when she goes, uh, I played in Boston for years. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, sorry about that. Then John Strong saying, Stu Holden, why are players lying down behind the wall? Is that a new thing? Are you fucking serious? That requires, and then I've got to listen to Dr. Joe tell me why someone's 10 yards offside and why it was given. I mean, <laughs> what is this nonsense? By the way, their commitment to um, <clears throat> making sure they give coverage to the human rights issues in Iraq, or in, in, in Qatar, sorry, um, they seem to brought a gloss over that. 50 seconds of silence when we had a protester on the field. <laughs> Um, they lost their voice <clears throat> um, and quite frankly if I have to listen to Alexi Lalas get excited one more time when he's talking I mean does a guy know how to speak without yelling so ball over the top man straight in yeah 1-0 Alexi it's okay calm down man just talk we, we get it you know I, I just I don't understand who that's for I mean, is there people sitting at home going, Yeah, go, Alexi! Like, 
Dave, you got a speech impediment? I'm not sure what what is it that's the issue that preventing you from speaking like a normal human being. By the way, Alexi Lalison followed me for saying that uh, the US banned their own players for protesting social injustices in their own country for three years, which they did. Um, <clears throat> I wonder what was he took issue with there. Um, but anyway, uh, the coverage has been uh, uh, atrocious. And, um, and you know what's sad to me about that, Zach? We yeah. have exceptional football coverage in this country that doesn't treat the American audience like they're idiots. That understands that there's now a very educated audience watching this game. They don't get subjected to Chad Ochocinco telling us what, you know, what a fan experience is like, which is so vacuous and empty. It's like um, it's the same thing every night. I mean, I, I, if, you, if for those who actually watch it, uh, I get to see the clips on Twitter. But uh, this is a very educated football populace in this country. Third, 25 years ago when football first started being broadcast here, it was gimmicky. I get that. Well, there's always a suspicion that the American viewer doesn't know what they're watching. And this was perpetuated by um, Paramount when they hired uh, Steve Nash to do Champions League. Yeah. And you're going, is this, is this, do you not trust the sport to be sold on its own? You have to use people like Chad Ochocinco and... Steve Nash, because no one will watch it unless, you know, we've actually got other people from other sports that are popular to promote it, which and sadly means that people like you, who have legitimate talent, never get an opportunity on those types of platforms because it's not about being informative, it's about being entertaining. And so, and, and as a result, you get this nonsensical, ridiculous coverage. Um, anyway, <clears throat> to bring it back to Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. The irony in this for me is Ronaldo is doing this to himself because Ronaldo is insistent on the world looking at him as the best player in the world or certainly one of them. Where if he just accepted his decline and accepted where he's at in his career, the, the narrative around Cristiano Ronaldo would be about his greatness, not about the fact that he's no longer demanding, no longer the greatest player in the world he's demanding you recognise. Which brings his performances into greater scrutiny. If he just accepted the fact that, you know what, I'm a bit part player, I'm going to play the last 20, 25 minutes, I still think another top club would take a chance on Ronaldo. But when you look at his, his, his behaviour, that scares clubs off. Even if there is somewhat of a player left in him that could get you goals from the bench for the last 20, 25 minutes or whatever. But the rest of it means that it's just not worth it. And so in many ways, he's inviting the scrutiny on himself. And there's a really weird family dynamic where his child calls him the best player in the world. I don't know any athlete whose kid or anyone who's famous whose kid has to say that to them. I've never done anything of note that's caused my kids to even take the slightest bit of notice. And my kids, you know, whatever, I don't care. Right? I mean, I have friends of mine that are professional athletes. You know, that have tried to show their kids YouTube clips of their highlights and they tune out after 30 seconds. I, yeah, oh, I don't care. And then you've got his sisters. And you're like, it, 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 this isn't normal. I mean, I, we've all got brothers and sisters. Who treats their brothers and sisters that way? I know, it's it's crazy. I mean, I think that, look, Ronaldo's issue, it's, it's multiple. I think, one, he still thinks he's uh, the best player in the world. 
he isn't even top 100. If he was, then he would have had at least one Champions League team uh, try to sign him. Okay, uh, I mean, you have you have his his wife Georgina Rodriguez saying it's a shame that you know the best player in the world couldn't uh, have been there. Like seriously, Ronaldo is not even in the top 26 Portuguese players in the world. Okay, uh, he would not be here if it wasn't for his marketing ability. Right now. Uh, his, his footballing ability in 2022 is pretty much non-existent. His ability as a marketing, you know, uh, as, as an influencer, as somebody who markets, like, that is still very much up, okay? And that's why uh, if he does go somewhere, it'll be to a league that's in development, like the Saudi uh, mm-hmm. League. That's why we're seeing the rumors linking him to Al Nasser, uh, because, yeah, the fact is, uh, I think that with, with Ronaldo, you know, for, for so long, signing Ronaldo meant uh, you had to make a sacrifice. And for a while, that sacrifice was worth it, okay? It meant that, yes, you'd have to give up, you know, a lot of money and uh, prioritize transfers elsewhere. And, and, just, and, and also, not just in terms of financial, but also um, asking other players to do different roles. Asking players like, you know, Karim Benzema to sacrifice. But, uh, and, and it was worth it, because for a while, he was one of the best players in football. He would score a ridiculous amount of goals. Right now, though, you know, not only are you seeing uh, him failing to stay on sides, failing to uh, win foot races, failing to win ground duels, failing to complete the most basic passes, you're also seeing him fail to put away chances that, you know, he would have put away in his sleep uh, two years ago. And that is the, that is the biggest issue, because... If Ronaldo does not have goals, then then the fact is he is not providing anything. I mean, we saw that yeah. in in uh, Manchester United last season. Yes, he did score a decent amount of goals, but there were so many games as well where he was pretty much anonymous. Um, and yeah, that's the thing. When you take away the goals, then you know it's hard to see any team wanting to put up with his putting up with his melodramatics. The fact is, he's thirty seven. Uh, and he acts like a 15-year-old girl who mm. wasn't told that, you know, she's pretty enough. It's it's just, like, he needs to be told he's the best player ever. It's almost like there's some inferiority complex with him. Uh, and, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. But I think that this also happens, you know, we mentioned before, this happens, stuff like the Piers Morgan interview, it happens when you have nobody in your life who's telling you yep. no. Uh, when, when they're just saying, you know, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, this kind of stuff is going to happen. You come off incredibly aloof, and uh, and yeah, suddenly nobody wants to sign you. I wonder why. <laughs> and the, the irony, the, the, the issue for Ronaldo is you don't even need to pass comment on it because when he plays and when he doesn't play, that does the talking for you. And the body of evidence to pr- prove that Cristiano Ronaldo is no longer a top player in the world is always borne out when he doesn't play. Because the difference is is stark, uh, whether it's with Portugal or whether it's with United, and look, there's no denying his greatness. What he did in his career um, is truly unbelievable, and that's what we should be talking about. But because of his insistence to view him a certain way right now, that's how he's being judged, and. It's perfectly understandable at 37, 38 years of age, you're not the player that you were. And I and there's no disgrace in that. But it makes a mockery of his whole reasoning 
you know, when he came out in the summer and used Duncan Castles to claim that his issue was no Champions League. You know, how does that look now? Because it's not a Champions League, not, not a team that can realistically compete in the Champions League would want them. And this is part of the problem where if he ends up taking a contract in Saudi Arabia, you know, sure, or, or anywhere like that, sure, it's going to be lucrative. But it's a complete admission from Ronaldo that the rest of the world has been right. That this is what awaits you. And even Messi's facing up this reality we enter Miami. You know, father time catches up with everybody. Everybody. There are no exceptions. And yes, everyone's the well getting Ibrahimovic that can play on a top league till 40 41. Yeah. But those are those are the exceptions to the rule. And Cristiano Ronaldo, great player, be the legend. Um but his refusal to acknowledge his current predicament is a major problem. And I just, if you take a look at the picture before the game yesterday, every photographer over at the bench, I, I, I just think like if you're, uh, if you're young Ramos or someone like that who scored a hat-trick in the narratives with Ronaldo, I, I, I would bother me a bit. I mean, we're not going to spend the show talking about him solely, but I just think I'm sure in the back of Fernando Sanchez's head, he thinks, I can't wait to be rid of this problem. Yeah, and listen, I I will say again that I think that players are used to this, but it doesn't mean it can't bother them. And I think that, yeah, I, I for one, am looking forward to the day that Cristiano uh, leaves Portugal. Because, frankly, it does feel like almost like there's there's a there's a massive weight with, with Ronaldo on your shoulder. Because, frankly... It's an undeniable fact that Portugal play better football without him. And yet, whenever you put him on the bench, and that is incredibly rare, I think mean, this is the first time that Ronaldo did not start uh, a World Cup, uh, you know, a, a major knockout round match for Portugal since, I, you know, 20 years or so. And all the conversation is on him. And it's just like, give me a break, man. The fact is, Portugal have so many brilliant players. This yeah. is... Uh, you know, this is a, a phenomenal team with phenomenal players. And you're talking about probably the worst, one of the worst players in this entire squad. It's just like, for me, it's just so disrespectful uh, to players like Joao Felix, like Bernardo Silva, who are doing their all. And look, I do feel somewhat bad for, for Ronaldo because, yes, for, for a large part of his career, he was, uh, you know, used to dragging around very poor players. Uh, Portugal teams, you know, but and and right now, this Portugal team is is arguably the best we've ever seen in 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 Ronaldo's career, and it's come at the point where Ronaldo is frankly washed up. He's right. not a top level footballer anymore. There's nothing wrong with that, but uh, but I just I I think it's just so tiresome to just hear the comments from his sister, from his family, from you know whatever he's saying. Ronaldo this, Ronaldo that. Oh, woe, all woe is me. The fact is, I mean, this should be Ronaldo's last tournament for for uh, Portugal, okay? It should be uh, the last time he plays for them. And I think that, you know, I, I know that there are some coaches who, who, will, uh, who, who will banish a player because of the league they play in. You know, we saw that with uh, Yaroslav Rakitsky, the... Uh, Ukrainian player who uh, went to Zenit and was banished 
we saw that with Blyz Matsuidi from uh, from from playing an important role in their World Cup triumph to joining Inter Miami and and getting banished uh, because Didier Deschamps does not want MLS players. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I don't think that uh, I don't think that you should be banned from playing international team agree. Uh, for for playing. You know, if Ronaldo was still a top level player and went to Saudi Arabia, I would honestly have no issue with it. But the fact is, what does Ronaldo provide as a footballer? It, you know, I, I'm struggling to find that answer in 2022. Uh, he provides a lot of Instagram followers. He provides a lot of jersey sales. And I think that's that's clearly one of the reasons why uh, Portugal and, and Fernando Santos, they've tried to make peace with him because, you know, they don't they, they realize that he is massive financially for them. You know, he matters a lot more uh, economically than in terms of what he can provide on the pitch. Uh, and that's why I think that if he does leave, uh, it, it will be for a team that that is in a develop a league that's in development. But in terms of what he can provide on, you know, as a as a footballer, I, I really don't know. I mean, I don't think that he is. Uh, he he frankly just is not a Champions League caliber player anymore. Well, let me ask you from a Portuguese perspective, <clears throat> because they were ex- were exceptional against Switzerland. To be fair. They play a very, very good Morocco team this weekend. Uh, Morocco, who don't concede goals, whose only goal they have conceded was that was was an OG who are deservedly in the quarterfinals, um, comfortably contained Spain easily, and um, I think it's great to see North African teams, African teams in general, because uh, football has a serious competitive balance problem. It's brilliant to see teams like this uh, advance to the latter stages of the World Cup. Hi. Uh, do you see the Portugal-Morocco uh, game going? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, I was actually in Moscow four years ago, and I got to watch uh, I got to watch uh, Portugal beat Morocco in the Luzhniki Stadium, one nothing via an early goal from Ronaldo. Um, I think that, you know, both teams, they, they've obviously changed a lot since then. Morocco have a new manager in uh, Walid Regagoui, and so they are a team that, yeah, I don't think should be uh, should be written off. Honestly, I mean, I was watching the 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 Portugal game with my friends, and they were saying after this, man, Portugal are going to wipe the floor with Morocco. And I was saying, man, I really wouldn't be so sure because this Morocco team, they're they are really really hard to beat. Okay, they've conceded you know just one goal, and above all, they've done it against some fantastic opponents. Okay. Uh, they've kept a clean sheet against Croatia. Probably were actually the more threatening team there. They beat Belgium, um, and and yeah, they they managed to get past a Spain team that uh, looked fairly good going into this tournament. So I think that they're they're a team that's incredibly complete, that's very hard to beat, and uh, I think that this that the the Spain game was 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 it it definitely opened a lot of eyes um, because. We saw how Morocco were comfortable having, I think it was, what, 23 to 20% possession yeah. um, against Spain. And yet, despite that, I think Spain only had one shot on target. You know, they they, they had very few shots on target. Um, there were very few uh, t- uh, times where where Spain really uh, tried, where they managed to threaten Yusuf Bono and goal. And yeah, that, that says a lot to how good this Morocco team is. So look, I think that 
it's it's going to be a tough game. I think Portugal will win, but uh, but yeah, Morocco they've they've done fantastic. Uh, they they've done a fantastic job so far, and when you look at their team, it is very complete. You've got, uh, you know, I I mean I think that I, I think that Portugal uh, arguably have the best fullback pairing in world football, but Morocco certainly aren't far behind. You know, uh, Ashraf Hakimi and Nusar Masraoui, uh, two players playing for Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich, both of them playing for Morocco. You've got Hakim Ziyech, who has really, uh, you know, reached, who, who has, has bounced back from a few disappointing months at, uh, at Chelsea and has really uh, become so massive uh, for this for this team in his return to the national side, um, you've got Sofian Buffal, pure entertainer, uh, and Yusuf and Nasiri, who I think yeah has has really done done a good job at center forward and uh, was really important off the ball. Uh, we saw that against Spain in terms of you know his ability to uh, mark Sergio Busquets out of the game. So that's the thing about Morocco; they they have a lot of um, a lot of talent, a lot of technically gifted players, but they also have players who are willing to work hard to put in a shift. Even players who, yeah, we're not necessarily used to putting in that shift, like Ziyech. Uh, that just you know says a lot about how Walid has has managed to get these guys go and get them prepared. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, if if Morocco do end up beating Portugal, I'd, I'd probably be rooting for Morocco to win the rest of the tournament. I would love that to happen. <clears throat> Let me ask you about Spain, though, because, once again, they flatter to deceive. And I understand when you've had great teams, they work in cycles, and it's hard to reproduce that. Um, but it's another pair shown at the World Cup from Spain. Um, how far away are they... Uh, and is there anything on the peripheral, anything on the horizon that you see? I know they've got young players in Padre and Gavi, the other two, of course, that are constantly talked about. But I'm looking at other positions they've field in Spain and going, I don't see the quality uh, in the near future that would cause me to think that Spain, and even at the next World Cup, would be a serious threat to anyone. What, what's happened to Spanish talent? Yeah, I think that with regards to Spain, there's been a huge stagnation um and i think that that's somewhat a product of the golden era that saw them win uh, two euros and one world cup i think that when you have so much success you can almost uh seep into your methods and and you know feel like you don't need to change feel like you don't need to adapt i think that's almost what's happened because you look at that since since spain since spain uh you know won the 2012 euros they've won only six games in 90 minutes in major tournaments. Uh, Australia in 2014. Um, in 2016, they beat Slovakia. And then, of course, were, were eliminated in, uh, to Italy. 2018, uh, they beat Iran. And 2021, uh, they beat... Well, obviously, they got to the semifinals, but... But their only win in uh, 90 minutes was against Czech Republic, I believe. I'm, I may have that wrong. But, um, but they and, and this time around, yes, they started with a fantastic 7-0 win against Costa Rica. And they end up drawing the next game to Germany, uh, losing to Japan, and then 
going out in the round of 16 on penalties for the second straight time around. Um, I think that the the Spain Morocco game was definitely a microcosm of of Spain's issues over the past decade. Um, I mean, three World Cup matches won in the past in the past 12 years. I mean, that's a damning statistic. Um, and I think that yeah, when you look at the the Morocco game, they had what about about 73 percent possession. Uh, you know, over a thousand passes completed. And yet, when you, when you rewatch it, when when you really look at it, it was a scared Spain performance. Uh, it was a performance that really, uh, it, it was just. I I don't know how anybody can watch that and say that uh, that Spain were the better team. I know that players like Rodri and and other Spanish players, you know, they've gone out and said, "Oh, you know, we didn't deserve to lose." Well, guess what? There is no deserving in football. Either you're in. Or you're not okay. I mean, you know, give me a break. <laughs> I mean, I don't see Moroccan, I don't see Mexican <laughs> fans complaining that we deserve to be in it and not, you know, Poland or Saudi Arabia. I mean, fact is, either you're in it or you're not. And Spain, on paper, they have a much better squad than Morocco. They should be winning this in 90 minutes. But the fact is, you know. Morocco, they did a very good job of blocking out the central progression. Uh, and a lot of that is due to uh, the, the game plan of Yusuf and Nesiri coming in and keeping Busquets in his uh, cover shadow and uh, really preventing Spain from building uh, via Busquets. I think that it was always clear that, you know, he was he's absolutely massive to the Spain team under Luis Enrique, massive to how they, they play uh, play football. But I, I think that Morocco did a very good job of taking him out of the game. Uh, so that was one of it, one part of it. Um, you look at some, some other parts, I think that, yeah, there, there, like I said, I think that there was a lot of fear in that Spain performance, a fear of, of giving the ball away and being exposed uh, on the counter. And, and conceding a goal and going down. And that's why we, so, we saw so much horizontal sideways passing and no real verticality, you know. It's, you can have, you, can have uh, you know, possession is, is not necessarily a bad thing, okay? You can have possession. You can have as many passes as you want. But you need some sort of verticality, whether that's coming from the fullbacks pushing up, whether that's coming from, you know, uh, playing it, essentially linking up together, we didn't see any of that, though. Um, we didn't see any any players like Dani Olmo or Marcos Asensio, you know, get, making runs in behind and putting uh, Morocco under some pressure defensively. We saw a Spain team that was happy to just pass it from side to side, and a Morocco team that was happy to oblige them. Um, and you want to hear the stat on that, Zach? Sure. More than a thousand attempted passes over 120 minutes, <clears throat> um, but one single shot on target. Yeah, and I mean that's yeah I I I I mean that's how it played out. Mm -hmm. And I think that look the another issue is there's just such lack of creativity. I think in the Spain team that's something I never thought I'd say, but also just I think just uh, daringness and self confidence. You know I think that also. Uh, look, I, I think that Lucho, he definitely got some of his tactics wrong. You know, playing Marcos Llorente at right back over Cesar Esquilicueta and Dani Carvajal 
you know, I know that Carvajal didn't have a great World Cup, made a mistake for the Japan in the Japan game, but uh, I don't know. For me, when you put in a player like Marcos Llorente, uh, first of all, you're setting him up for failure against a very good 1v1 dribbler like Sofian Buffal, and he did leave him in his dust quite a few times, Buffal. But, um, but I also think that it really doesn't make much sense when you've got a uh, when when you've got a, a you know a player like Llorente who is an attacking midfielder playing at right back and unable to make those vertical runs in behind the defense. If you kind of play Llorente as a regular right back, then yeah, you're you're definitely misutilizing him. Yeah, then you um, need Pedro Porro at home. Why? Left Pedro Porro at home. And yeah, I I know that I am kind of a Portuguese football homer, but I do feel like <laughs> a bit of disrespect from Spanish people towards Portugal. I mean, I yeah. I mean I I you know Pedro Porro for me he's a better right back than both Carvajal and Aspilicueta. Definitely a better right back than Aspilicueta. But uh, and and I think there's an argument to be made as well that Alex Grimaldo, you know, he's he's had a better uh, better run of form than the likes of. Alejandro Balde or, or Jose Gaia or Jordi Alba, but uh, you know it's it's almost like oh you're 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 playing in Portugal that's not a real league, um, so yeah. you know it is what it is. At the end of the day, Portugal have two teams in the Champions League round of sixteen. Spain have one. Maybe one day they'll they'll learn to respect Portugal. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But um, but but at the end of the day, I do think I I, I do I, I really would like to see Spain go through a rebuild because right now i mean it it has been a mediocre decade for spanish football um they have so much in the way of facilities and resources and yet you know it's it's just been so drab so predictable and i think that yeah we we saw those errors reflected in the spain game i'm pretty sure that nico williams in the what 20 30 minutes that he was on I think he took on more players than Ferran Torres or Dani Olmo combined. I don't have the stats on it. But it's like so much, I think, in the way of just just, um, monotonous football. Monotonous footballers and players who, frankly, yeah, are just not top-level players. I mean, I said it on my Twitter. I genuinely don't think that, 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 I mean, I think there's maybe two or three Spanish players who would start for Portugal. No, no more than that. You know, one of the things that uh, I think was really interesting about the Morocco team, and we talked about this before, was the issue of naturalized players and the ridiculous commentary from some people that they're not pure enough. They don't, they don't love our country because they weren't born and raised here. Fourteen of Morocco's twenty-six players <clears throat> qualified to play for them, uh, haven't been born somewhere else. Bono, Hakimi, Saiz, Mazoué, Amrabad, Ziyech, uh, all these players, and they were questioned by some Moroccan journalists prior to the World Cup whether they truly identified with the cause. And uh, hopefully this goes some way to answering this ridiculous assertion. And I despise so much because I really don't even understand the sentiment behind it that um, naturalised people can't possibly love a country the same way someone who was born there. Which to me is insane. So they've done a they've done a fantastic job of making sure they all pull collectively together. You could see the team spirit after that game, and you could see how much it meant to people. I mean, you had Medi Benatia on French TV in tears 
you saw the Moroccans all over Europe, all over the world, celebrating this, how much it meant to them. And this is one of the positive things that a World Cup does. And you see this, it, it, I mean, almost everyone's had a victory to celebrate, which is great. I think the exception of Qatar. Uh, most teams have had a victory. And Canada. Yeah, Canada, yeah. Uh, I've had at least the Belgian one. Um, uh, most teams have had a victory to celebrate, and how much it's meant to them. And just something like that, we 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 see players today that will be inspired by players that we saw ten years ago. Uh, and there, what that will do in developing nations is spawn other young players who will be inspired by that. And that's something I think international football does that club football doesn't do. I think. International football has a great way of inspiring young kids in a way that club football is much more businesslike. And I think, you know, I'm being a brutal critic of international football, but I think that is something that um, when you look at young players and you ask them 10 years from now in a World Cup, you know, why did you want to be a footballer? Oftentimes they'll recite a World Cup moment from their country. And, you know, football is, does belong to the world. You know, Germany can go out of a World Cup without having a major detrimental effect on the development of the sport in our country. So can Spain. So can lots of other places. But there are other nations where it's absolutely vital, not just in terms of inspiring people, but in terms of generating revenue to invest in infrastructure and other, other things that will continue to uh, develop young players so it's sustainable. And I think this is obviously one of the positive spin-offs. Brilliant to see someone like Morocco doing so well and other nations, of course, other underdog nations that come to the World Cup. Um, and this is Morocco's sixth World Cup, first time in the last eight. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, <clears throat> let me ask you about some of the other teams that we've seen. Uh, Brazil, my friend, because to me, Brazil looks scary. Yeah, they do look scary. Um, yeah, there's a reason why... I picked them to win the final going into this tournament. I think that they are the best team in world football. Um, they've lost, I think, three competitive matches since Tite, since Chichi took over in June 2016. Uh, the match against Belgium in the in 2018, the Copa America final against Argentina, and the fairly meaningless match against uh, Cameroon. So. That tells you all you need to know about this team. I think that it's just incredible what they have. I think that there there are some flaws in this team. I think that I would probably say the, the, the fullbacks are the weakest uh, link. But what I will say as well is that Chi-Chi has made a fantastic balance with the team. That fullbacks really, the fullbacks, their their only job is really to defend you know they when and when you have players like Vinicius, Rafinha on the wings, you know you don't really need your fullbacks to overlap because they can do it themselves, one v one. And so I I think that I know that uh, I think that only only Danilo uh, and and Dani Alves are the fullbacks that are fit. I know that Eder Militao will probably play one of the fullback positions against Croatia, but. Um, but I think they've done a good job of adapting to those weaknesses, uh, Brazil. And yeah, they're just such, such a fun team to watch. It, it almost feels like, you know, we, we've heard so much about the Brazilian way of football and just um, all these players. But it, I think that 
if if you're a fairly young person uh, who who was not alive for the 2002 World Cup, then yeah, you would probably think that. I mean, Brazil are not you know on that same echelon, but the fact is they've they've achieved more in the game than than any other country, and I, it's been really nice to see them. Yeah, to, to play like the how Brazil should play. So I think that Chiche, Chiche may, <laughs> deserved a ton of credit for the way he's gotten Brazil to operate. Do you and think I think that's disrespectful part, from Danson? Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. I mean, some people are going to think that anything is disrespectful, which is, you know, it's up to them. But, but I think, no, absolutely not. Um, Roy Keane would find a hug disrespectful. <laughs> I think, yeah, Roy Keane. I think that Roy Keane trying to uh, endanger the lives of a million different opponents is disrespectful. I'm not sure if. if the uh, thing is, like when Keane, though, like he doesn't just say that because he he wants to be. He will believe that, and uh, he, it's just his personality. It's just the way he is. And, yeah. uh, he's he's a know, miserable man, but he, yeah, he he just doesn't. See, but one thing I will say as well, and this kind of ties back to our discussion with Ronaldo. I mean, yes, Brazil has so many technically gifted attackers who are just capable of of enchanting the ball, of dribbling, of doing all this. But at the end of the day, what they're defined on is is their their ability to win the ball back in dangerous areas. You know, press like a, a pack of wild hyenas on the ball once they lose it, and just constantly working hard to the point where they they rarely don't even have to worry about the opponent having possession because they're just so good at winning it back uh that is that is where this brazil team takes the next step from from the failures of you know 2010 for example i think that we're seeing that uh chichi get his superstars to put in a shift off the ball and really you know help the team uh, achieve that balance. That's been fantastic to see, and I think that, yeah, it's it's something that 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 will allow them uh, to challenge against the best opponents. And so, yeah, I'm still sticking with my pick. I do still think that uh, Brazil are going to win the World Cup. Here's the thing that I think and I see about Brazil. Um, Brazil yeah. to me went through a bit of an identity crisis. In the sense mm-hmm. that there was an emergence from the old Joga Bonita, you know, the 1970, you know, beautiful Brazilian team to more practical players, players that they could sell to Europe, players that were more disciplined, players that um, play percentage football a little more. And Brazil came a bit boring in some sense because they kind of forgot what they were. This is the first time in a long time I've seen a Brazil team that's got that balance right between being pragmatic, practical footballers who are capable of playing percentage football, but also capable of turning on a style and, and, and making sure they're playing in the image of what we consider Brazil to be famous for. And I think they've got that balance right between flair and pragmatism. And so we're seeing a 1-0 against Switzerland if they need to be that, if they need to be that D- defensive or not necessarily defensive but certainly pragmatic they, they, they can do that or they can come out and beat you 5-6 if you if you want to play against them if you play in if you open up against them they'll beat you um and i think that's the first time i've seen brazil get that right in a long time yeah i agree with you i do think there's almost been an issue with with that in terms of development you know brazilian academies 
selling off their players, uh, you know, at 17 years of age, not really allowing them to develop. But, um, but, and I think that's something that's definitely stagnated Brazil's progress on the world stage. But I think that in, in some ways it is changing. I think that teams are perhaps players are more aware of what they need to do to reach the top level. Um, and so, for example, someone like Vinicius, you know, who was signed for 50 million at a young age, uh, at, I think 16, joining Real Madrid. You know, he still remained at Flamengo for two years because he had to, obviously, and was able to develop there. And, um, and, and yeah, it's, it's similar with other players such as Casemiro, also joined Real Madrid at a young age, but, uh, but was able to develop at Sao Paulo, was able to go out on loan to Porto, was able to make his way. And it's almost, I think, that players, they know that while if, if, they're, if they're good enough, they're going to be, yeah, they're, they're going to, to be... Um, going to Europe soon, but that doesn't mean you can't have uh, a, a, a real education and doesn't mean you can't, you shouldn't prepare. So I think that's definitely one thing as well. Um, and also, I mean, so many times, for so many years, we've heard people just complain, oh, these Brazilian players, all they want to do is party, all they want to do is, you know, and, and uh, all they want to do is, is stuff that frankly does not help them athletically but i do think that yes brazil players they still have party, but but there's definitely been i think a new line of thinking in that uh we're, we're seeing definitely a lot uh, a lot less controversy we're seeing more players who are willing to you know go out and put in the work in the gym and adapt to the physical style all of this is is very important because yeah when you look at a lot of these brazilian players not only are they physically gifted but I mean, not only are they te technically gifted, but they also have what it takes to, to, to crack it uh, physically, which is definitely not something that, that uh, should be taken for granted. So they're playing a very technical Croatia team. Croatia, who, in my opinion, um, I don't mind saying, when I watch Luka Modric, I sit with my 15-year-old son, and I have him watch Modric over and over again, and my, this is almost the perfect footballer. His balance, his movement, his passing, his vision, his keep it simple, you know, then he kills you with the killer pass. He, he is just truly sensational. I mean, we've spent a significant part of this podcast talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and father time at 37. Look at more, it's just defying father time at 37. Different players, I accept that. Um, they're also an embarrassment uh, to any nation that uses size as an excuse for not developing footballers, and I'm talking about my own here. I'm talking about countries like that that constantly complain that they don't have enough players, um, the, the, the country's too small, or you know some of the nonsense excuses I hear, GAA or all the other stupid excuses I hear from Irish, which just nothing more than um, laziness and, and, and lack of resources, lack of, like, lack of investment. Um, <clears throat> and so, um, I think what they do is truly unbelievable and they don't get enough credit for that. 100%. I mean, it's been incredible to see Croatia, what they've accomplished in the past, what, 25 years since achieving independence. You know, they had one of the greatest World Cup debuts of any nation and they've really been able to uh, go up another, another notch over the past uh, 10 years or so. I think getting really imposing themselves on the world stage. And, yeah, I think that a lot of people, they feared 
okay, well, after that World Cup final, Croatia, they're going to regress. You know, they're they're not going to uh, be what they once were. But look, they came very close to beating Spain uh, last year in the Euros. And this time around, they've 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 done well. You know, they haven't been always pretty to watch. Um, you know, they they drew to Morocco, uh, they drew to Belgium, and they uh, beat Canada. Very uh, one, you know, in a very one-sided match. But apart from that, you know, they it did take them penalties to to uh, to beat Japan. And so, look, I think that this is is in many ways. A different Croatia side, one that's perhaps based on defensive solidity more than anything. I think that you know Modric has done very well, but uh, but but this is very much a team. I, I don't see necessarily one big star. You know, I know that Modric is obviously the biggest name, but you know this this team is for sure a. It's it's definitely it feels like a team effort. Whether that's uh, Marcelo Brozovic uh, holding down the fort and. And you know, locking it down from the defensive midfield position, whether that's Josko Gvardiol, uh, you know, making a fantastic duo uh, alongside Dejan Lovren in, in central defense, Dominic Levakovic stepping up and being the hero with uh, three penalties saved against Japan. It's definitely definitely feels like a a uh, a team effort. So I I do think that Brazil are going to beat Croatia. Uh, pretty handily, but I definitely hope I'm wrong because Croatia, it's been an absolute joy to see them. It's been an absolute joy to see Luka Modric. And uh, what a story it would be if a nation of, what, 4 million people would get to a second straight World Cup semifinal. Let's do the other two games quickly. England-France. Now, England-France is going to be interesting because... I don't know. England play a, a, a lower block. And they have to because uh, strikers or the defenders aren't, aren't quick. They play a high line against someone like Mbappe and it's going to be trouble. Um, the question is, to sitting back playing on the counter-attack suit you against France? Uh, England obviously have pace up front too, but I think French the, the French back four is a little quicker than the, than, than the English. Um, obviously, England have some fantastic players. Bellingham has been incredible for them. Uh, and of course, there's, there's a number of others. Foden, you know, they, they, they've got a really, really. This is probably the best England team I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, what do you expect will happen in this England France game? Yeah, so uh, I actually predicted uh, England to face France in the quarterfinals, and I think that yeah, I, I did predict England would would beat them. Uh, I'm gonna stick with my prediction. I think that France. They will. I think that England will come into this game as the underdogs uh, because of their incredible individual quality in attack. You know, and and fair enough. They've been they've been fantastic uh, this World Cup. You know, apart from the loss to Tunisia, where obviously uh, Deschamps went with a fairly rotated side. Yeah, they've been clicking on all cylinders. Um, they've responded well to an endless injury crisis. And, uh, you know, with, with so many key players out, they've shown why they are always going to be a powerhouse and a contender. But I think that England are going to win. I think that uh, they, I think that it's going to go to penalties. I think that it's, 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 this is going to be a very tightly contested match. But I just think that England, for me, they have a stronger bench than France. And I think that could definitely make an impact 
uh, against tired legs, you know, having someone like like Marcus Rashford, you know, coming off the bench and trying to exploit that. I think that that would be absolutely massive uh, for England. But this is a match that could definitely go either way. I think that I'm, you know, 51% going to say England, 49% going to say France. I think that people, you know, they, they, they think, oh, Kylian Mbappe, or you're, you're seriously saying that England are going to stop Kylian Mbappe. But, and yes, Mbappe may very well be the best player in the world right now, but he is still only one player. And I do think that if England managed to get their game plan right, um, and in terms of trying to neutralize him, I think that it could be, they, they could be able to, you know, take advantage. Because another thing as well, as good as Mbappe is, he does not really put in a shift defensively. Uh, and and I think that's something that, yes, can, can certainly be exploited. It's been exploited in the past by, by teams that, that face France. And uh, I, I, I would probably expect England to do the homework on, on, on them and, and get, it, get the job done. But it's, it's definitely interesting because both teams, you know, they've obviously accomplished a lot. France, you know, unlike England, have actually won a major trophy uh, in the past 50 years. But England, it's no secret that they have one of the best teams uh, in world football. And I think very interesting for both because both teams came into the tournament with a pretty poor run of form. Uh, a lot of questions surrounding, is the champ is Gareth Southgate the right man to lead us forward? So both of those managers are still under a lot of pressure. And I think it's definitely going to be, uh, yeah, an even-keeled match. Yeah, I think um, they'll both get defined by what happens in this game. In my opinion, if Gareth Southgate loses, uh, it'll be forgotten about that uh, England got the quarterfinals. He'll get heavily criticised. Uh, and if Deschamps loses, I think it'll be forgotten about the Benzema and uh, France got the quarterfinals too. We shall see what happens. Or, uh, lastly, Dutch-Argentina. Yeah, Netherlands-Argentina. This is a really interesting match. Um, I'm going to say Argentina, though. I think that... They, for me, they they've evolved a lot over the course of the tournament. You know, from from when we saw them against uh, Saudi Arabia, and you know, just unable to do anything with that offside line, to to how they've progressed, and in you know, gutting out a an uncomfortable win um, against uh, uh, against Australia, and overall the way they've played. I definitely think they're trending positively, which is very important. Uh, it's very important to to trend well. I mean, I think that we saw that with the Netherlands, right? Uh, last year, the only team, I believe, to uh, win all three Euros group stage matches and then going out uh, in the round of 16 to Czech Republic. You know, it's, it's important to be able to uh, trend well. But I do think that Netherlands, they're going to be a very tough team uh, to, to face because... They just have so much quality and also, I think, you know, are capable of suffering, of, of soaking up pressure and hitting on the counter. We saw how lethal they can be uh, against the U.S. in terms of, you know, having that explosive uh, dynamic threat from Denzel Dumfries at right wing back uh, with, you know, having such technically gifted players like, uh, like uh, Cody Gakpo and uh, Memphis Depay. Having players who are just so comfortable of keeping possession, just passing around, like Frankie Young, like uh, Virgil van Dijk, 
yeah, this is a very uh, good Netherlands team, and it's a Netherlands team that that is coached by someone in Louis van Gaal, who's <laughs> definitely been around the block uh, quite a few times. So I'm very excited to see what happens. I think it could be, you know, if Angel Di Maria, I'm not sure if Di Maria is going to start, but if he does, it could be a revenge match for him uh, going up against Luis van Gaal. So very excited to see what happens. But yeah, I do think... I do think that Argentina are going to end up winning a close match against the Netherlands. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Of course, you think Argentina, Holland, you think of that unbelievable Bergkamp goal in 98. Um, we, see, we will see what happens in that. Zach, as always, my friend, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Don't forget to follow this man at Zach Louis or at Breaking the Lines, uh, BTL, his fantastic website. Uh, you will find him at both of those places. So uh, thank you very much. As always, Zach, take it easy, brother. Awesome. Thanks so much. Shame it, bye.